We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans. Welcome back to another Buzz Beat. The Charlotte Hornets just opened up their summer league play with a brutal 98-77 loss against the Spurs in the California Classic. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Lee today on this post-game edition. We will also be talking about LaMelo's extension, highlighting the game that just went final, but also talking about some other off-season activity stuff as well. Lee, how's it going? Are you um are you doing anything fun for the Fourth of July? Laying low for the Fourth, and uh, you know, overreacting to summer league. You know what? What's better than that? Yes, uh, we're we're going over to uh, my parents' place because their neighborhood always puts off a pretty cool fireworks display. Ooh, and my four year old, like you know, those little poppets you had when you were young, you would like throw it down on the ground. Yep, that, that's what he's into right now. And. <laughs> Sometimes he can't like fully get the full force behind it. So he has to go step on it, which actually is a, is a pretty cool thing that he's enjoying as well. So just stepping on those things. Yeah, so, just stomp it if it doesn't bust yeah. off after the throw. <laughs> All right. So what we'll start with real briefly, we won't spend too much time on this. The game that just went final, there are other important topics that we'll get to at the tail end of this podcast. But let's just talk about some things that stood out to us in, in game one of Summer League. Now, remember, they did play the Spurs, but Wimbenyama was not playing. The Hornets will play the Spurs again, I believe, on Friday. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a little bit different story we'll, where Wimbenyama might play. But I, I thought, you know, it's it's typical summer league stuff where the jitters are there, the turnovers are there. But the problem is they were all on the Hornets side, it felt like, right? Like the offensive struggles were pretty evident. Plenty of perimeter shots without getting any paint touches early on turnovers. They got their shots blocked. They had, you know, a loose handle. They really couldn't develop a full flow within the offense, within the team. I think they started to pick it up towards the end of the first half and they had spurts here and there overall the third and fourth quarter, but like for 90% of the game, it just really wasn't a pretty game to watch. So I guess we can just talk about different players and what stood out to you. I didn't have a lot of notes, but one player that just felt mature out there felt like he was more of an experienced player, albeit not by much, was Bryce McGowan's. I thought he does a good job of just like getting to the rim like he normally does. He had an awesome closeout beater in the right corner in the first quarter where it actually led to an assist. 
And he has been one of the better players that I've seen in terms of just drawing fouls. And half the battle, obviously, is trying to get to the rim and and use your strength to get there. But him and him and Teo Maladon of last season, like they're not power forwards, they're not centers, but they get to the line a lot. And I know that there's other players on this roster that probably need to see more time than Bryce, but I feel like he still needs to be a prominent feature. And I, hopefully the coach doesn't like take him out after a couple of games or, or like diminish his minutes. Cause I'd still love to see what we have from Bryce, especially from behind the arc. He just felt more mature most, mostly uh, versus the other players out there. I know that's a low bar. And then we'll talk about Brandon Miller as well. I'll, I'd love to hear what you thought about him. I think he, like the others, took a while to kind of pick things up. Travels, a couple of travels in the first quarter where he like left his feet. One, we was trying to get a dribble drive into the paint. His first bucket came uh, in the second quarter, and that's when Hornets started to pick things up. I will say that he, like the others, probably picked things up because of the defense and the rebounding. I, I thought that that was something that stood out to me with Brandon Miller. And once when he gets more comfortable with that, uh, on the offensive end, uh, well, things will start to pick up as well. One thing that I did notice too, he got a rebound, I think it was in the fourth quarter, and immediately was snatched back by the Spurs. Yeah. And I think it just speaks to his strength. And that's one thing that I noticed when it comes to his drives. Like he just gets, when he's trying to get into the lane, he's just not physical enough to withstand the contact. And I know that's something that we've talked about pre-draft as well. But overall, I thought it was a pretty good showing for Brandon Miller. If you were to grade his first half versus his second half, you would have two totally different grades. Yeah, no, it's funny. I actually tweeted like early in the fourth quarter, like all the miscues, all the warts, all the turnovers. He had six turnovers tonight. Yeah. I still thought it was like a B performance from Brandon Miller tonight. Like he had some, he had some really nice off-ball defensive moments. He had some transition defensive moments. One that you tweeted about during the game. Oh yeah, he had like some. He he really was the only guy that was like had any sort of like connective tissue with his passing in the half court. Like he was actually swinging the ball, made a few extra passes. You know, the like I mean, you already referred to how kind of uh, stuck in the mud the Hornets' offense was tonight. And I think that continues to go back to them just kind of not having a true point guard on their summer league rosters. I, I do want to like quickly mention Nick Smith Jr. at some point tonight, um, but he's not a true like distribution, you know, half court tear caretaker kind of guy. Like I'm actually not even sure what position he is, but he plays really hard. So he's not a point. He's not a point. He's not a point guard, right? Exactly, and. So, so from, for, and, and Brandon Miller, like he had some defensive rebounds. I, I don't think any of them were necessarily like in traffic or out of area rebounds. So, so I don't put a whole lot of stock into that. I, I, I don't think he's a great athlete, but I, I tweeted that I thought he was like a B, you know, with some of his half court ball handling, even prior to him hitting three threes and kind of making a circus shot on the end one there at the end of the fourth quarter. So he went nuts offensively after. Uh, I tweeted that I thought he was like a B just from an overall kind of feel passing off ball defensive moments. Now I will say like he got blown by a couple times on closeouts. The lateral defensive footwork is I think like something to really watch, but I also think, you know, he's an incredibly talented teenager that 
like I wouldn't be shocked if he had a really good second game because I felt like he settled in there in the second half. And it, let's not take too much away from this. I think there were some nice moments to pluck away from Brandon Miller's performance. And I think there are some fair characteristics to watch as potential problem areas as well. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything that you just said. I, I'd probably give him a B as well. Yeah. Yeah, that third and fourth quarter was really kind of the, his moment where he started to pick things up. And you're right. Maybe that second game where he has one game under his belt feels a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, we, we could talk about Nick Smith Jr. Um, he had a ton of turnovers. He yeah. came out as the starting point guard. And everyone in the Hornets community talks about, you know, not having a point guard to lead this summer league team. I actually thought that, Robinson, Justin Robinson was very steady out there. And obviously he was not the starting point guard, but he was just so mature compared to some of these other guys. Yes. And so Nick Smith Jr. is more of a like he is a combo guard, I would say, but he lost his handle probably a handful of times. And it just disrupts the timing on offense. Like if you're trying to run a set and you're looking for someone to come off a screen and he loses the ball, well, that just deflates everything and you have to start all over. He did like look to score a lot, I, I would say. And, and maybe that's where he is going to benefit more as, as a scorer. But he's probably just playing out of position. Like what other options do the Hornets have in this position? Bryce McGowan's can't play point. You don't want, you don't want book night playing point. So I guess they're just giving it a try with Nick. Miss Jr. as the point guard, because also, too, when you look at the Hornets roster, not the summer league roster, but the roster itself, who is Charlotte's backup point guard? Great point. The, you know, Dennis Smith Jr., as you know, signed with the Brooklyn Nets. So uh, a guy that, you know, I thought we would try to bring back. So, um, yeah, Nick Smith Jr., like, like I said, I tweeted like I, I don't know if he really knows what the hell he's doing out there. I also don't know if he has a position, but he competes. He plays hard. He isn't timid. He's really athletic. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I mean, I can go ahead and put my bets down that he's not going to be an everyday rotation in Charlotte guy. I think he's a guy that could that could benefit a lot from a ton of time in Greensboro this year. Uh, but but I, there, there were some flashes there. And, and I just wanted to second your observation on Bryce McGowan's, who, you know, is he was a one year college player. He's a second year pro. So he's still very, very young. But had had some really nice, like his first bucket, or I believe the Hornets' first bucket of the game, when we were already down like 8-0, you could tell Bryce was just like, just like somebody come give me a screen. I'm gonna go get a bucket at the rim because this is ridiculous. So like he had some moments where you could tell that he was just a little bit head and shoulders above these guys from kind of a, as you said, maturity standpoint mm -hmm. on the ball. And look, he's still like like Bryce McGowan still has a long way to go to like become a second contract type of NBA player. But you know, he had, he had, he had time in Charlotte last year where he played for the big club. So um, I, I would hope he would be um, a part of that kind of 15 man roster. Now, whether he cracks the rotation at all this year, that's yet to be seen. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and I, I want him to develop a three-point shot because offensively he is pretty much, I wouldn't say limited, but you you know what you're getting out of him. A guy that can uh, be a closeout beater, get to the rim, maybe even make some passes off of that. But you know, if he never develops an outside shot, it's going to be hard to kind of you know, develop some versatility. Do you have any other notes on this game before we move on to the LaMelo stuff? Uh, the only thing I want to know is maybe like Kai Jones. Like he just, he's just such a, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I feel like sometimes his brain wants to do something, but his body doesn't allow him to do, do that on the court. He's just a hectic player. And I think summer league brings out the best and the worst for Kai Jones because mm-hmm. he has the highlight plays. He has the blocks. He has the dunks. He's just playing free. But also when you're playing with other guys that don't really have an idea of what they're doing and they're trying to kind of learn on the go, like he he just makes it worse. So I don't know what to think about him. Uh, it's, it's so hard to gauge him in this type of situation. He's much better playing off of others. But yeah, very, very hectic player when I see him. Yeah, this 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 has been the first moment that. I have like considered selling some Kai Jones stock from the portfolio. I, you know, he's, he's still incredibly young. We still see, we see NBA players and prospects that don't ever kind of meet their full NBA potential to their 24, 25 years old. I I try to keep that in mind. I really thought he would come out looking educated out there. Like I, I really thought he would look, in year three, in a like summer league setting, I thought he would look um, like he belonged more than he did. Um, so that's concerning. It, it just hasn't seemed to have improved in any way, shape, or form over the last two summers. Kai was a guy I liked a ton as a, as a college prospect, and it's still early, but this is the first time I've actually – like it's always been a he's so young, he's so raw thing. Right, right. And now I'm. Uh, this is my first inkling of like, ooh, might be time to offload some of that Kai Jones equity. But uh, and then the only other two comments I had, and, and and we can move on to some other subjects if you're good on the summer league stuff. Is I do just want to quickly mention like Amari Bailey had a night had a decent game. Some really like he's an awesome athlete. Kind of a tank when when he when yeah. he gets downhill going towards the rim. Had some flashes of like skipping some passes cross court after some drives. Got into the passing lanes. Um, so we'll see. I, I'll, I'm I'm curious to see kind of what he looks like in game two, after like pound for pound maybe having the best performance besides kind of Miller's second uh, fourth quarter explosion. Um, and then I mean I don't think we need to belabor this point, but James Booknight continues to just not look like an NBA player to me. Um, like he, he, he actually wasn't terribly inefficient tonight. Um, he got to the line a little bit, um, but he just continues to be kind of a ball stopping isolation player that isn't good enough to be that type of player. 
at times he feels like unsure of himself. Yeah. And the ball, the ball stopping, it, it might be a lack of confidence, just not sure what he's doing in a certain situation. But yeah, he didn't really feel like he was out there tonight. Um, I didn't really recognize his right. impact on the court. Yeah. You would feel like, you know, with him, what is this, his third year? Like yeah. he would he would be more of the mature player that that's making the impact, but he's not. All right, let's move on. Let's discuss the rookie extension that was given to LaMelo Ball on Saturday, which was the first day the Hornets were allowed to extend him. We also saw, the, saw this happen with uh, Anthony Edwards today. We saw it with Halliburton. We saw it with Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain, I think, was at a lower number, but Ball is now locked up for the upcoming season, plus five more with this reported deal that's taking place. He's getting a ton of money ton of money but that 260 million dollar number that's been floating around seems to be scaring people off and so just to make this clear that number is highly unlikely to be met uh, you know if ball wins the mvp next year you know don't think he's going to do that if he's going to be the defensive player of the year next year if he's going to make an all nba team then yes he would get 260 million dollars but that's not likely to take place so based on my calculations uh he will be getting closer Let's see here to 216. That's if you include next year's salary, because sometimes, you know, that, that $10 million that he's getting next year. And with the 25% of the cap, that's what he's earning, 8% raises. He's never going to reach 50 million per year. I think a lot of people see, oh, 50 million per year. That's like unwarranted. I mean, it's, it's still a lot of money, but money aside, Lee, it, this feels like it needed to be done. This shows some loyalty. This shows the ability in the Hornets investing in their own. So what were your initial thoughts with this extension? Oh, I mean, it's an, it's an, it's an absolute no-brainer. Uh, Ball, along with the three other um, upcoming fourth-year players, are the – I mean, th those four have the only case as the most valuable assets from their draft class. That's Ball, Halliburton, Edwards, and Bain. Those were the four guys that deserve to get this kind of like rookie max extension, um, quote unquote. Uh, I think your clarification around kind of the uh, the the baseline number of what it's going to be is warranted because yeah, I also saw some of that some of that chatter on Twitter like oh, 260 million. Um, look, this is a guy who was nicked up and injured in a season that was just a total throwaway season. This is a guy that two years ago, as a 20-year-old point guard, uh, with the entire keys to an NBA offense, led the Hornets to a top-10 offense and 43 wins. Um, we talked about some of the ridiculous kind of uh, NBA.com filter statistic numbers you can do with Ball, where he's in, uh, you know, he's in like classes with basically only Jokic and Doncic in terms of like points, rebounds, and assist averages over a over an entire season. Obviously he is not an MVP type caliber player like those guys are yet in his career, but it just shows you the level of production he's accomplished as um, an incredibly young player. And, and I think he's like ball is just, I think he's just scratching what he can be. I mean, this guy is six to eight years away from what most players physical NBA prime is. So I think we have to keep that in in context. I think uh, just from a kind of doing business standpoint, this was like no controversy, sign the papers, send it over to Ball and his agent and get the thing done. So I will say that I do, I do like to see that this like seemed to be 
a, a priority for the Hornets. Yeah. Like they, they got this done. Um, I would say it's probably the most consequential move they've made so far this offseason. Um, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna chat about Bridges as well, which certainly uh, is consequential as well. But I mean, th- those are my thoughts, Richie. It's it's not a whole lot of black and white here to me. This is like down the middle fastball, like no brainer. You do it every single time. Yeah, I definitely think it was necessary because obviously you're locking in your young point guard of the future. And one thing that we've talked about before is they they lucked into him because not only did they move up in the draft lottery, the Warriors could have had him at number two, but they decided to go with Wiseman. And you just can't let this final year play out with like uncertainty surrounding his future because there's already buzz and rumors talking about him wanting to leave or or you know wherever that's coming from. So this extension getting done was not only a reward for LaMelo and what he's done, but it was a message to him, the message to future players that come through the system that, hey, we we will reward you. We will invest in our own if you perform. Uh, do I think it could be an overpay considering his injury history, though, Lee? Like, that's one thing that I'm kind of going through my mind because unlike Halliburton, like, he has not been as available. And I think Halliburton and LaMelo are very similar players in terms of their impact. I actually think LaMelo Ball should be more impactful, but because he's not out there as much, I, that's something that I, that's in the back of my mind that I do worry about. But the alternative of not extending him was just you know much worse, especially being a small market team where you have to build through the draft. And you talked about it in terms of like his on-court performance, just one of the better facilitators in the NBA in the three seasons that he's had here in Charlotte. I would argue that his vision is like in the top 99th percentile of oh, anybody in the yeah. NBA. He's been a, a very good shooter, which is something that was a question mark coming out of the NBL when I was scouting him. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this three-point shot. I think he's shooting like 30 low 30s over there, and I just like this is not going to translate. He just chucks up things, but he really has developed that off the dribble. He's developed that off the catch. Um, he's almost perfected this like 12 foot, 15 foot floater. And yeah, he's got plenty of things that he needs to work on. And, and like you said, he's he's kind of just in the beginning stages where he's got to work on getting stronger, getting to the rim. You know, that that rim pressure has gone down over the years and he's got to get a little bit better on defense. But I, I think to do this on the first day that it could get done says a lot about what the Hornets, you know, the priorities lie. Uh, there's a comment here in YouTube saying that LaMelo is also 18 months younger than Halliburton, which is, you know, never a, ba- a bad thing to bring up. Yeah, well, and I think, um, you know, to your point, he, he certainly has had his um, his bruises and nicks. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't say he's ever had any sort of like major injury, but he he's certainly had things here or there. Uh, you know, he played 75 games in his in his one all star season, which was that 21, 22 season, uh, which feels like a decade ago now, because it felt like at that point the Hornets were on a really nice trajectory with the young core. And then everything that happened last year happened. I, I think the only other point I would make here, Richie, is. The, other, the, the one other reason why you do this is because if the worst case scenario does happen two years down the road, Brandon Miller's a disaster, Bridges, you know, like flames out again in some way, shape or form. This roster is just decrepit and stuck at the bottom of the NBA and LaMelo Ball does, you know, demand his way out of Charlotte in two or three years. You have him locked up on a long-term contract and you're going to get an absolute haul for him. So that's the other reason why you do this 
is to kind of protect yourself, you know, from a asset gathering standpoint, if, if things did turn just completely nuclear and he was to ever, you know, essentially force his way out as some other star players have done in the NBA over the last couple of years. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, you don't ever want to think about that, but that's always something to consider. Uh, you you want to lock them in and have that guaranteed contract moving forward. Okay, you mentioned Miles Bridges. Let's talk about the qualifying offer. Uh, he took that one-year standing contract of $7.9 million. That was a path that was always there. It just feels so rare to do. Players taking their qualifying offers when they can get a you know a longer contract and especially rare for a player like bridges of his caliber so this tells me two things lee like number one hornets weren't going to get into a bidding war they weren't going to budge on their offer maybe there was some kind of gap i mean clearly there was some kind of gap between clutch and the hornets and the number two it, it also shows me that there probably isn't a lot of interest from other teams as well they're not chomping at the bit to throw an offer sheet in his direction, considering you know he's coming off a year in which he didn't play. He's going to be suspended for the first ten games of the season. So there's a lot of things that tell me you know okay, Miles Bridges probably did this because there was a gap. There's not a lot of interest out there, and you know when it's all said and done, I, I feel like I mentioned this online. I feel like this could be a blessing in disguise or the best of both worlds, where Charlotte isn't committed to this long-term contract, because if it does turn south, like you said, for whatever reason, or maybe players around him like Brandon Miller, PJ Washington, if he signed, like they make these huge developments, maybe there's not a need for him, whatever reason, you know, this long-term contract could turn out bad if they were to lock themselves in that. But also too, Miles can use this as a contract year, as a way to rebuild his image and really to win the trust back of not only the organization, the league, the fans, and, and everyone in between. So that's my read on the situation. There are certainly downsides to going this this way, but you know, if the Hornets weren't going to budge and they weren't comfortable with upping their offer, then this was definitely an option that Miles Bridges could take. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, like I feel like this is probably the most desirable outcome. You know, I, I, now to be fair, I'm sure that there is a section of Hornets fans uh, that wish this guy didn't come back at all. And, and I can certainly understand that perspective. But when you're talking just strictly from kind of a basketball business standpoint and from the Hornets front office perspective, uh, I think this is probably what they would have hoped would have happened was that there wasn't a ton of teams that were, you know, really falling all over themselves to uh, to try and sign Miles Bridges to a long-term contract. It didn't put the Hornets in a position to feel like they had to run the numbers up to sign Miles Bridges to a long-term contract. He hasn't played basketball in, yeah. what, 16 months? I mean, some you know, a long time. So although he was fantastic as strictly a two-way, you know, young wing in this league before all of this happened last summer, it's really hard to say what a player is going to look like when he's been that far when he's been away from the court for that long. So I think it's not only a prove it standpoint from kind of a, you know, however you want to phrase it, ethical, moral, legal standpoint, but it's also a prove it uh, year for him from a basketball standpoint. I mean, I think I would lean because of how young he is and because of kind of the development trajectory trajectory he was on before all these issues, I would probably lean towards 
when he's back, he's going to look pretty decent, but that's definitely an open question. I mean, uh, you know, what is Miles Bridges? He's been away from the team. It's not like he's been practicing, you know, or, or really in the facilities. I, I don't right. think so. Like, I'm sure he had a trainer. I'm sure he had access to facilities and things of that nature, but like, you don't just jump right back into kind of, you know, NBA speed and, and, and not miss a beat. I wouldn't imagine. So I guess I say all that to say this is probably the most desirable outcome from just a strictly basketball standpoint. Uh, Miles Bridges can rejoin the team after his suspension uh, and the Hornets can kind of see where this goes and, and, and feel it out as we go. And Miles Bridges uh, can hopefully uh, kind of uh, regain some of his standing and, and regain some of his, uh, you know, kind of social equity with the team. The point that you brought up about like the rust and, and just you you don't know how this guy is going to perform. Like there were times last year, you know, it crossed people's mind as a basketball player. You missed Miles Bridges. You missed his three point yeah. shooting. You missed his on ball playmaking. You missed his on ball like, you know, just getting downhill and, and finishing at the rim. That's something that the Hornets struggle with, at least efficiency wise. Rim was, protection. I mean, everything. Yeah. The impact, you know, you did. You definitely missed the impact. But to your point. He has not been practicing with the team, right? And maybe he's been practicing as an individual, but you know, even with the suspension, that ten games is is pushing back. Yep. You know, the, the time that he could get acquainted with his team and playing out there. So, totally. I, I do, I do think there could be some regression and uh, a, a you know a, a takeoff point where you have to give him some leeway there. What's one thing that's interesting? I, I don't know if you saw this uh, final note on Bridges here, or if you got other notes you can you definitely insert yourself here but in terms of the potential to trade him if it got to that point mm. uh, because he's playing an under a one-year contract and he is playing with bird rights there's something in the cba that states he will have to consent to the trade uh yeah. so it's you know like a like a no trade clause type of deal but what's even more interesting is that the team that trades for him they don't get his bird rights, meaning next offseason, whatever team, if they traded for him, they would not have the ability to go over the cap to sign him, and they would have to have space or some kind of exception to sign him. So if he does perform really, really well, and he and he kind of garners some interest around the league, there is a risk in taking him on other, you know, outside of the other stuff that we, you know, we've talked about before. So that's interesting. Like the Hornets, if they just kept him to the end of the year, they they keep his bird rights and they will be able to sign him if they had a, a you know a decent year and they feel comfortable about moving forward with him and they can go over the cap to sign him. But a team that trades for him, not only does Miles Bridges have to consent to that, but they also don't even get his bird rights, which is very interesting. I did not know that until that was mentioned, I think, by Bobby Marks at one point. Yeah, that's that that's a big time Bobby Marks CBA knowledge <laughs> nugget right there, like like hidden deep within the bylaws. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I, I don't think I have anything anything else to add on Bridges. Okay. We'll end on PJ Washington mm-hmm. and the Grant Williams thing. Um, at the time of this recording, it is 1025 PM on Monday. You know, PJ Washington's salary cap hold of $17 million is still on the books. There's definitely some uncertainty about what's happening with him. And obviously other teams can submit offer sheets for him to sign. He's a restricted free agent. But just remember that the moratorium doesn't end until Thursday, July 6th at 12.01. It's at that point, if any offer sheets were submitted, 
that's when the clock starts to tick for matching purposes. And I believe the Hornets would have until Friday at 11.59 p.m., so basically like a day and a half to kind of match if any offer sheets came PJ's way. Um, so I, I do think that they should do everything in their power to sign him to a contract or, or match any kind of offer sheets. And they do have his bird rights so they can match and go over uh, the cap and all that type of stuff. But there's another rumor out there, Lee, about the Hornets interested in Grant Williams. And the Hornets would not be able to sign. Well, they would be, but they, they could sign PJ and get Grant Williams if they wanted to. But the only way that they can get Williams is if they use the mid-level exception, which is 12.4, I believe. And if Williams doesn't feel like that's enough, and he's not giving the hometown discount, then really it's kind of either or at this situation. So you either sign PJ to his deal or you, you know, renounce PJ, create some cap room and give Grant Williams a little bit more than that 12.4 mid-level. Where do you stand on, you know, the PJ Washington, Grant Williams debate? And, you know, even if there is a possibility for both of them to be on this team. Yeah, I mean, look, this could be my, you know, every night watching Hornets bias and kind of seeing Grant Williams fall out of the Celtics playoff rotation at times during this last kind of playoff run. I feel that P.J. Washington is kind of like a moderately superior player. Um, I think, you know, he brings certainly he brings more offensively. Um, as, as a volume shooter, um, and as kind of like a, you know, with the steps he's made as a playmaker, um, in his last season, uh, now look, Grant Williams is an awesome defender and Grant Williams, you know, is also a reliable kind of floor spacer at, um, for the most part, but like PJ just is such a, he's such a more dynamic player in my mind. That's a good word. That's a good word. And I, I get it. I mean, I guess in, in some ways you're like, can I get 85% of what PJ Washington brings at some discounted price? If you bring in Grant Williams, I don't, I don't know what that gap would be like what the gap would be between what you would have to pay to bring PJ back versus what you would have to pay to bring Grant Williams in. But I'm not sure the, that I'm comfortable, uh, with that calculation, like, like, I think I would just much rather be, bring back the asset that you've drafted and developed, you know, over the past, um, over the past four seasons. So honestly, I'm a little surprised we haven't had any news yet. Like PJ and Grant are some of the uh, most valuable kind of guys out there still a lot of the a lot of the free agency stuff has been pretty cleaned up now you still may see some sign and trade stuff you know you still obviously like dame and harden and some of this stuff is still yet to play out but just from a purely like free agent market standpoint these are two of the most consequential guys left on the market um my preference would be to bring pj back even if that's at a bigger number than what it would take to bring grant williams in it would be, and the Hornets can sign Washington. You know, they they can sign him for twenty two million dollars right. a right. year, and they could go ahead and give Grant Williams that mid level exception. They'd be over the cap, but they'd still be under the tax. So right. that's really what they're trying to avoid in this situation. But, but the I, question I is, does Grant Williams take that? Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That that's the question. 
does living in Charlotte or, you know, coming back to his hometown, I think he played at Providence day. That's right. Um, and went on to Tennessee, obviously, is that enough to sway him to take a discount? I'm not sure that that's the case. So if he's not taking the discount, it's, it's really one or the other, but I agree with you. I, I think that PJ, PJ and, and Grant are very similar players. They're, they're like low usage guys. Uh, you, you hear a lot about, you know, them being impactful on the defensive end. I think maybe one-on-one Grant Williams is just, is just better. Uh, but PJ does have some versatility to him. I, I guess Grant Williams does as well, but you know, Grant has the size dynamic. Like you said, PJ feels more dynamic. He can do more stuff with the ball in his hands. I've seen him be more involved on in the offensive end out of the short roll, out of the pick and roll. Um, that just doesn't feel like something that's in Grant's game right now, but I will concede that Grant has the three point shooting, but I do feel like PJ can kind of close that gap. I have confidence that he can do that. You know, very solid player. Grant, I would not be upset with, with acquiring Grant Williams, but I, I think, I think the route to take is you sign PJ to whatever number that is, I guess not whatever number, but a reasonable number. And then why don't you use that MLE to go after, I know, I know the free agents has kind of dried up at this point, but go after a, a backup point guard at this point. I, I feel like that would be the better route to take instead of being overloaded at the three slash four position. To me, that that's just kind of how I would use that Emily. No, I, I'm with you on that. I think that would be a better use of kind of team capital, especially from like a roster construction standpoint. Uh, because as it stands today. I mean, I guess Teo Maladon is the backup point guard as it stands today, <laughs> which like I kind of like Teo, but I'm not sure you you want Teo playing 15 minutes every night. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, I mean, to, I mean, realistically, we know Terry Rozier is the backup point guard right now, and that has had mis- mixed results at best. Yeah, that's that's how they're going to do it. They're going to stagger it. They're going to put, uh, you know, they'll probably bring out Rozier late and put him with that second unit. Yeah, that's probably what they'll do, but. Yeah, the way that you want to build your team, like especially if you're drafting Brandon Miller, which feels more like a fit draft. Like, yeah. why aren't you trying to fit some other pieces around with that backup point guard? Like, you're completely neglecting that. And that's just something that's been in Charlotte's history forever. All right. Any last thoughts? Like, we kind of got through a lot of different topics in a, in a short amount of time. No, here. that was awesome. That was great. I mean, I think we'll probably try to do, a, you know, another summer league recap at some point. Of course, we'll kind of be on standby here to see what happens with PJ and, and any other free agent signings. I, you know, obviously uh, there hasn't been any Ubre news yet either. Right. Yeah, no, there hasn't. Um, right. I, I, I haven't even heard of any teams that have been linked to him, right. which is, which is interesting. Yeah. That guy just seems like he's, you know, out of the picture for Charlotte, but that'd be, that'd be the most like Hornets thing that he does come back out of, out of the blue. All right. I will also be on WFNZ on Wednesday morning. If you guys want to check that out, uh, it's pretty early. So after 4th of July fireworks, you guys might not be up. I think it's like 725. I'll be on that. But we appreciate you guys tuning into YouTube. We appreciate you guys tuning into Twitter spaces. Uh, I wasn't really paying attention for the speaker request, but uh, we appreciate you guys listening live. This will also be out as a podcast version if you guys are still listening with us. For Lee, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care. <laughs>